0: This is Cashflow Ninja, episode 249, with Wesley Chapman. Welcome to the Cashflow Ninja, the podcast sharing how to create income streams and manage, multiply, and protect your wealth in the new economy. Here is your host inside the dojo, MC Laubscher. Hello, Cashflow Ninjas, MC Lobsher and welcome to another episode of the Cashflow Ninja. I have a great show for you today, and today's show, we're going to look at how to build a world of worth. In the Money Masters playbook that I've created, one of the pillars is giving. Tony Robbins has said, the secret to living is giving. And the amazing guests that I've had the honor to interview on the show know that the secret to living is giving. They know that you can only be wealthy by enhancing the wealth and lives of others. These cashflow ninjas produce in such a way that everyone wins and benefits. They give in many ways, whether it's monetary, whether it's their time, whether it's their resources, and some of them become social capitalists and create businesses that solves social problems and create so much value through solving these social problems. My guest today has used his horrific experiences and his amazing story not to stay a victim, but using it as a springboard to become empowered and also empower and inspire others, helping to change the lives of many people that are experiencing enormous societal challenges. My guest in this episode is Wesley Chapman. The message of Wesley Chapman of waking up the Euro has been adopted by thousands of people around the world. He draws from his unique life experiences to deeply connect with people of all backgrounds, creeds, and beliefs. He is the founder of A Human Project, an organization that incubates creative, scalable solutions to systemic problems and gathers together the greatest minds to solve global issues in education health, and society. With a background in technology, design, and entrepreneurship, Wes has worked with clients like Verizon, Microsoft, A&E, and has been the recipient of multiple App of the Year awards from Apple. He holds patents on several medical advancements, and his work has been covered in multiple media outlets and publications, including Inc., CBS, TechCrunch, ABC, Forbes, and many others, as a speaker, Wes has shared the stage with eminent business owners and thought leaders alike, including Robert Herchevik, Sherry Salata, Gary Vaynerchuk, Randy Jackson. Peter Diamandis, and many others. As a co-creator of the Human Gathering, named the number one leadership conference by Forbes, Wiz is constantly bringing together today's foremost leaders in business, technology, and philanthropy, and the arts. Please share your feedback and thoughts on today's interview. You can let me know your thoughts on Twitter by tweeting me at MC Lobster or by email at info at And please remember to join our mailing list by signing up at cashflowninja.com or texting cashflowninja to 44222. To ensure you never miss one of our episodes, you can download our free interactive smartphone apps on the Apple and Google Play app stores. Are you interested in real estate investing but don't know where to start? JoinOps Properties is the premier provider of turnkey lease option investment properties. With their proven system, you can have cash flow within 30 days. To get cash flow within 30 days, go to joinopsproperties.com. The wealthiest investors on the planet know how to capture their wealth and leverage it to perpetually grow it. If you're interested in learning the premier strategies of the wealthiest individuals and families on the planet, you can access an educational webinar at cashflowninja.com forward slash be the bank. Wes, welcome to the show. Hey, thanks for having me, man. I appreciate it. Yeah, very, very excited to have you on. Uh, you've done some amazing things. For my listeners that's not familiar with you, can you please share a little bit about your background uh, and your uh, amazing story?
1: Yeah, I can. I'll, I'll try to kind of keep it uh, brief as we can kind of get. Encompassed in it a little bit, um, but you know the, the short end of of the uh, of my story is uh, I was abandoned when I was one by my biological father, and at six and a half by my biological mother. And between the ages of one and seventeen, I was abused in every way you can possibly imagine: physical, emotional, sexual, spiritual some of my early childhood memories are waking up next to my siblings and seeing my little sister being molested and knowing my turn was next. And I have a plethora of different stories and different experiences and things that happened in my life. And, you know, my, my journey has been, has been very uh, coaster esque if you will, in, in getting things kind of put back in place and, and, you know, making it, making it something. And it really started when I was seven and a half years old. And I had spent about a year inside of a uh, a psychiatric hospital and was poked and prodded and, you know, tests and all these different things. And the the report came back and, you know, it's a 60 plus page uh, report, but the layman's uh, explanation of the report was that I was basically too broken to be an asset to society. I was never going to be normal. I was never going to have a normal life. I was never going to enjoy normal things like driving a car, having a job, having a steady relationship, you know, different things like that. And even at that very young age, I remember knowing that that wasn't right. um, That that wasn't, you know, the, that wasn't going to be my destiny. And that was really when I started to listen to that inner voice and and listen to myself instead of listening to others, and that led to and there's a bazillion stories in there and, and tons of different things that happened, but it led to me finding uh, entrepreneurialism really out of basic survival. I, I had to I didn't even know what the word entrepreneur meant until you know my early well, probably late teens, early 20s. Um, It wasn't cool to be an entrepreneur in the 80s. Uh, You know, that basically meant you were unemployed. It wasn't this fantastic, amazing thing like it is now. Uh, So I never really saw it as that. To me, it was survival. It was if I don't make money, I don't have food. I don't have the things that I need. I don't get the things that I want. And so, but because of that desire and also this like nothing to lose mentality, I went all in in the business world and I became successful. I was, I had a great lifestyle, did a lot of cool things, got to meet a lot of really cool people and you know, people that have really great brands and names in the world, I've gotten to do things with and work with. And so it's been, that part of my life was just an amazing journey, but inside of that, I found that I was hiding from my real self. Uh, Much like any addict, I was using money and business as an addiction to hide from who I really was. In fact, I never told my story. I never talked to anyone. My, my best friend in high school didn't even know anything about my life. I had six different last names. I mean, I played the game of hiding from, you know, really the shame of like, why wouldn't your dad want you when you were a little baby? Why did your mom give you up? Why do you have all these, you know, these, why do you leave all the time? Why do you have all these scars? Why, I mean, just all these different things that I was running from and hiding from. But once you have money, and you're making a lot of money, nobody really cares. It's just like, cool, Wes is making a lot of money. And so I found safety in money, and it became addictive. And it was in my late 20s that my first daughter was born. And when she was born, my mind shift kind of really started to happen about legacy and about you know family and about longevity and all these different questions that I had. I'd never met my father, I didn't really know my mother, there was just all these different things that started to come into play and here i was holding my child and thinking about all the different things that have been said about me i would never have a family all the, you know all these different things and and it was in that moment that i started to, to realize that internally inside of myself i wasn't happy and i wasn't happy because i wasn't honest i wasn't sharing who i really was with the world i wasn't exploring who i really was with myself i was hiding behind the five thousand dollar suits and the sports cars I wasn't exploring the real West. And so I made a commitment to my daughter that I would I would know who I was so that I could raise her. And that began a journey of self-discovery, of going through the process of really embracing what I had gone through and not allowing it to, you know, not, not being ashamed of it and not allowing it to be something that I was going to, you know, hide, hide from. And I started writing a blog, and I started telling my story, and I started getting out there. I reconnected with my biological father. I attempted to reconnect with my biological mother. I went through the processes. I went through the healing. I did all this stuff, and I spent about six years just really diving into me and figuring out what made me tick. And Along that journey, I started to realize that there were so many other people, whether it was a 75-year-old grandmother in Illinois or whether it was a 16-year-old teenager in Russia there were so many people that were resonating with my story and were were sending in emails and and saying you know things like you know the story resonated with me your vulnerability is where I want to be i want to be able to share how you're sharing i want to be able to talk about it. i want i don't want to hide from it and then there were the stories from the from the youth that were i'm going through this right now how do i survive and and that led me down this journey, which I never intended on going down. It was never part of the, the, plan, of of helping people and talking to people and coaching people and and giving you know all of these things that I had learned on you know pr- progressing through uh, depression and bipolar and all these different things that I had been labeled with and all the stuff and and I mean there's so many stories and you know I'm, I'm skipping around because I don't know exactly where you want to take the interview but. Uh, there's so many stories in my life. Before the age of 16, I had attempted suicide 12 different times. I was on 25 different pills every day of my life. My internal organs were, you know, being destroyed. I had to make a decision when I was 16, do I continue taking these pills and risk losing, you know, internal organs or do I change my life? And of course I went with the change my life uh, direction. And so I haven't taken any pills, you know, since I was 16 years old. And It's hard for me to take ibuprofen. I don't drink. I don't do coffee. I don't do any, any foreign substance in my body. And, and so there's a whole process that I learned through that. And there's research that I did on the brain and, you know, the gut and brain connection and all these different things that I've done. And I started just sharing that content with people and it started leading down this trajectory of being asked to share it more and share it in more places. And eventually, you know, I found that that was my core passion was to really take my life and what I had been through and the research that I had done and all the opportunities that I had had because of creating wealth, you know, I spent over $2 million in, in just figuring out, you know, and researching the body and the mind and figuring out what we could, what I could do and how I could, you know, continue to move forward in life, even with all of this negativity that had, had started my life. And so I took all of that expertise and all of that research and all of that knowledge and I started sharing it just with communities and in coffee houses and in churches and in schools and prisons. And I've spoken in just about anything you can possibly imagine. And it started to, to lead to a following and it started to lead to these children who were coming to me and just telling me their horrific battles that they were undergoing and the things that they were going through. And I started to, you know, give them ideas and strategies and, and mechanisms to change their lives. And, you know, fast forward years after I met a child who was suicidal and, and cutting and barely, barely, you know, functioning in school. And now they're in college and now they're dating and they're sending me things. And, you know, even went to an extreme of where one of the children I met asked me if once they got engaged, they asked me if I would perform their wedding. I mean, it's just been So phenomenal to see the transformation in the youth and in adults and in in human beings. And that led me to form an organization called the human project. And that organization now is in, I don't even know, 15, 16 different countries. We've got to get all of our, all of our marketing material ready for 2018 because we consistently keep growing. I personally have done over 65,000 one-on-ones with human beings across the planet, talking to them being knees to knees with them. I can't even tell you how many people have told me their suicidal plans. And, and you know, we've been able to intercept those, those plans and have conversations that change people's directory trajectories in life and people who were cutting and self harming and, you know, just all the different experiences that I've had, I've been in almost every state in the United States. And, you know, now we're getting asked to to go into foreign countries and, and speak in different areas. And, you know, it's just been an amazing journey of being able to share my story and see people transform. And through that, really being able to see some core issues that we're having, you know, as a global society, things that we're not paying attention to, whether it's YouTube or AI technology, our children, there are things that as parents, we can't even fathom what they're going through and what they're dealing with and and the amount of stimulation that they're having both positive and negative and while there's so much positive and optimism in our you know future as a as a species and there's so much potential that we have we also have to realize like there are some bio- biological laws that we're breaking and there are some things that we're going down that could be very very scary and we're starting to see some of that poke up its ugly head at least here in the United States especially with you know the problems we're having with YouTube the problems we're having with Snapchat the problems we're having you know, in, in our leadership, like there are so many things that are kind of culminating around issues that have been there for a long time that have been centered around individual worth and, and what a person believes about themselves and what they believe they can become. And there's so many marketing tactics and there's so many self-help gurus and all this other garbage that has been created for, for those in- industries and those individuals to make a lot of money but not really do a lot of good. And and that's something that we need to be aware of. I mean, there's just so many things. So that's where I'm at now. Um, I dedicated my life to to helping uh, individuals. Uh, I have a a saying, and it was something that I kind of put together in my teenage years, and it's put the victim to bed, wake the hero up instead. And it's the concept really surrounding Superman, Uh, and and the whole comic world but specifically superman as is is where it clicked with me but it was this i was addicted to comics i still am i love them i think they're amazing i I, i'm at every you know uh midnight showing of of every new marvel or every new comic movie that comes out and i i just love love the storylines and really even like the X-Men, you know, these weird kids that nobody wanted and they have all these weird things going on and they're pushed off into this, you know, school for the gifted, like that resonated so much with me as a child. And, you know, Spider-Man having to hide who he really was and Iron Man and all these different characters all had these things that I could relate to from my pain and my past. But the one thing that I found out in their psychology was that every one of them had to make a decision. Are they going to be a victim in a situation or are they going to be a hero and not a hero to the world and not a hero to their, you know, the girl that was set up that they were supposed to love? No, like a hero to themselves. Were they going to wake up their internal hero, take control of their lives and then have the ability to help others? And that resonated with me again in my teens and it really clicked in. And it's now kind of the mantra of everything that I talk about, which is we all have a choice. We may not have a choice as to who molested us or who abandoned us or who hurt us or who broke up with us or, or what, you know, economic thing happened. That may have been some external things, but we have a choice on how we react to it. We have a choice on which direction we take. And, you know, my entire community in the fall and we've created, which is for adults, it's, it's under wake the hero branding, but even inside of a human project, we teach the children, we teach adults how to put that victim mentality to bed. I mean, it's not just as simple as, okay, you know, let's just, I'm going to be a hero now. Everything's fixed. Like there's a process, but it does start with a choice. It does start with that. Are you going to be a victim or are you going to be a hero? And, and when you understand the true definition of the word hero, it means strength for two, which then if you reverse engineer, it means you have to have, you have to begin with strength with one. You don't start by saving the world. You start by working on yourself, But that's that's a very difficult thing to do because that's a selfish thing and we're taught, you know, in our society and in our cultures that being selfish is so wrong and it's of the devil or, you know, it's, it's not, it's this or it's that. And while yes, to a degree it is, if you don't take care of you, you have nothing to give to the world.
0: So anyway,
1: there's as quickly as I can kind of (laughs) give where we are and there's a ton of other things inside of there.
0: Amazing story, and I love the the power that that you give uh, to the, the the quote because it's it's so so true. in, in the society that we are today, uh, it can be so easy to just be a victim, and actually, it's encouraged a, a lot in a in a many different ways. And you've gone through what most people won't go through in a hundred or a thousand lifetimes, and you've decided to to be a hero and be an inspiration for others. Um, the other uh, point that I wanted to make, too, is it isn't just so easy to open up initially about something. And even though we don't even know that a lot of people are experiencing the same things that we do, it's still challenging to take that first uh, leap and that first step. And I think you have spoken about that one speech that you made at a public school that changed everything for you. Uh, can you share a little bit more about that?
1: Yes, I would love to. And and another thing that you just said, which I think, you know, I don't want to glaze over is that we're told to be victims. And And one of the things that we have to understand is that power comes from understanding. Understanding comes from honesty, not honesty, like we were taught when we were toddlers, you know, did you steal the cookie? Honesty, like core honesty, who we are, what we are, 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 you know, you've got the good wolf, the, the bad wolf philosophies and, and, you know, all of that stuff. Like you have to be incredibly honest and then you have to have real understanding of what's going on. And so just understanding the concept around victim and victimization and why is it so culturally accepted to be a victim? Well, victimization is a release of power. If you're a victim, you are giving away your internal power and and that's something that we we have a really delicate line that we tread because if you've been molested or raped or hurt from the external source yes you're a victim that that was something that happened to you it was something that was horrific if it's happening this is a whole different conversation but if it happened there's a time and a place to realize like okay this happened i need to get the proper assistance and Put the proper team in place to get it so it doesn't happen again and the person that went through it doesn't do it to somebody else. And that's the key in the victim, you know, hero mindset is that you're not trying to get, you know, retaliation for somebody who's done something to you. You're trying to get them in a position where either A, they're put in a place where they can't do anything to anyone else again or B, they get to heal themselves. And that's a really difficult line because a lot of people who have been hurt have a hard time, honestly, like surface level, they'll be like, Oh, yeah, I really, you know, want that person to get help. And I, but deep down inside their core, they want to run them over with a semi truck 12 times. And that's okay. Like that is a 100% okay. That's part of the that's part of the healing process. But to really move past that, you, you've got to understand that, when you're still stuck in driving them over with a semi 12 times, whatever it is, whether it's Obama or Trump or somebody who hurt you or, you know, your boss, I don't care whether it's a big thing, a little thing, a social thing. It doesn't matter. If you're in that mindset, then you have given that other person the power. You've a hundred percent transferred your power to them or to that situation. And you hear it all the time. And this is a new year, right? resolutions and changing your life and grabbing the new year and making something different. And my whole life's going to be different. And it's now like January 3rd. And I think it's something like 82% of all resolutions are done by the 5th of January. And, and it's because that's not how it works, right? That's, that is that in itself is a victim mindset because you're giving power to a date. You're giving power to a calendar. You're giving power to something that somebody else says is the way that you're supposed to be. And as you think about that, and, and I know I'm going off on a tangent here, as you think about that, and you're moving forward in your life from this moment on, how many things are you giving your power away to through a victim mentality? And you need to take that power back. And so there's a ton of process to do to make that happen. Really, not like superficial. Not like it's midnight, you know, on on uh, January 1st, and you're making these resolutions. Like that's superficial. You have to give it a hundred percent you have to understand the why you have to understand you know what you're giving up you have to know yourself you have to be honest with the situation you have to go through the process you may have to scream to the heavens you know to let go of some of the anger like there's a whole slew of things that have to happen in there to make it work for you for a long term but the reason that it's in society The reason it's okay to be a victim is because you become powerless and powerless people buy products. Okay, that's what this all comes down to. Powerless people buy products. Powerless people react in fear. Fear usually in today's world is an economic goldmine. If I can freak you out that the end of the world is coming, if I can freak you out that you're not going to be worth anything unless you have a certain watch on your wrist, I'm gonna make a crap ton of money. If I can tell you that by coming to this event or coming to this conference or coming and doing this thing is gonna change you and you're gonna have all these things because what you have isn't good enough, I'm gonna make an incredible amount of money. So the victim mentality and the reason that society looks at it and gets all excited is because it's insanely profitable. If we were all heroes and we're all okay and we were all great and we understood our worth and we were happy to live in the world we lived in Guess how many pairs of Nike shoes you would have? Maybe one, maybe two. Guess how many like gizmos in the house you would have? Barely any. Like you wouldn't need to go and do external things in order to have validation. It would come from internally. So anyway, that's a whole nother topic, but I didn't want to like just skip over it because it's so important for people to understand why victimization is talked about the way it is. Even this whole, the, the whole concept right now that we're seeing in the United States with the uh, you know, Me Too and all of that stuff. Like, listen, this stuff needs to be addressed. You know, violence in the workplace, sexual harassment in the workplace, like all this stuff needs to be addressed. There, there needs to be massive conversation about what's happening behind closed doors, but not in a victim mindset. And, and it's terrifying to me how victim mindset we are being in addressing some of the most crucial issues on our planet.
0: You're listening to Wesley Chapman on the Cashflow Ninja Podcast. We'll be right back after a word from our sponsor. This is MC Laubsher, the host of the Cashflow Ninja Podcast. As you may know, I'm also the president and chief wealth strategist of Valhalla Wealth Financial. you can access an exclusive webinar at cashflowninja.com forward slash be the bank. You're listening to Wesley Chapman on the Cashflow Ninja podcast, and now back to our interview.
1: So, back to your original question of this story. Uh, so, I, I was asked to speak in boys' homes and foster facilities and prisons and all these different places, but I'd never been asked to speak in a public school setting. Um, I'm not your most politically correct person. I don't, you know, my story isn't very like, you know, it's not, it's not G rated. Like there's a lot about my story that's very raw. It's very real. And it takes us, you know, when I was sharing it in the beginning, it took a certain audience to really, for me to be in front of, because I I, I don't, I'm never going to come to an event. I'm never going to come to a scenario and filter the power of, of my story. And, and that was something that, you know, there's been ups and downs in me thinking about that and like, well, maybe I should so I can have this and this and this. But this, this story I'm about to share submitted the fact that I will never, ever shy away from telling my story. Now I've shared it with kindergartners and third graders and I've shared it with high school students and I've shared it with, you know, communities and there's different ways in which I share it for the audience, but the raw and realness of the story will never go away. And I remember the first time that that philosophy was challenged, which was speaking in a public school and all of the, all of the doubts came in like, Oh my gosh, like I'm going to have to go in there and I need a filter and I should just be like motivational. You know, I don't want to have some parents sue me. You know, I have assets. I have things like I need to be careful. I have a family, like all these different things went through my head as I was prepping to go speak at this, this public school for the very first time. And you know, I've learned from from great speakers and great people on the planet, and even myself in in business, is I never go into a situation unprepared. So, like any good speaker or any good presenter, I wanted to figure out what the audience needed to hear. So I called the principal. I had a conversation with them, and I just said, "Excuse me, it was emails. We were emailing back and forth, and I just said, you know, what are you what are you looking for? Like, what what do you want to have happen in this school in this presentation?'" you know, motivation. We want the kids to succeed. We want them to excel, blah, blah, blah. It was just you know, your stereotypical stuff. And I said, okay, any issues happening in the school? And between the two emails back and forth, the principal had gone to my website and kind of dove into my story and dove into things. And he then replied back with a, hey, I think your story will be really powerful for our school. Here's what we're going through. We've had, I think it was 32 suicide attempts. Um, we have bullying, uh, we have initiations with, with kids where they light other children on fire, uh, to become, you know, to get into a gang. We've, we've had bullying issues where kids have been beaten with razor scooters. We've, we've had all these situations and, and this is in a, a Southern California school. Okay. This is in like supposed to be a really nice area, medium household, like $550,000. Like this is supposed to be a really nice place. And this is the email I get back. And so I'm like, wow, okay, like, there's some real stuff going on here. And so as I started prepping to go speak at the school, I had this, like, email in my mind. And then I also had all my self-doubt and all of my reservations. And so I was, like, Googling, you know, jokes for seventh graders and, like, all this stuff. And, and I guess that's one thing to, to make sure everyone understands in the story. These were seventh and eight, sixth, seventh, and eighth graders. Uh, and so I was like Googling jokes and I'd run them by my daughter and she'd be like, that's the dumbest thing I've ever heard, dad. Like, don't ever say that. And I'd be like, well, you're just my daughter. Like this joke is funny and Google says it is. So it's going to work perfectly. And so, you know, I'm, I'm prepping and I'm getting ready. And as like we get to the school, the principal comes to me and he says, hey, Wes, we were going to make this an elective assembly. But after really diving into your story, I've made this a, a mandatory assembly. And, and what he meant by elective was it was going to be kind of the, the honor students and the, the, the students who are achieving and who are in extracurricular, you know, bands and all that kind of stuff. And, and I, and he said, are you okay with that? Now we were in like a little choir room slash cafeteria. It wasn't very big. I think the max occupancy for the room was like 425 or something like that. And. And he came to me and, and, and in my head, I'm like, no, like it's already terrifying enough that I'm going to have to speak in front of like 200 kids. Like, you know, in my mind, I'm like, no, no more kids, no more children. This is good. But of course, my voice said, you know, my mouth said yes. And so as they're piling kids in, uh, they're going through this whole process. And I peek out the curtain, there are kids sitting on each other's laps. There's all kinds of stuff. And the entire room changed from it being kind of a quiet, you know, group of kids to just being this rowdy, like insane group of children. You had teachers screaming at kids and, you, you know, you had kids screaming back at teachers with the F bomb and with this and that. And you had security guards at every, you know, exit of the room. And I was just sitting there thinking like, Oh my gosh, what have I got myself into? Like this is, this is terrifying. And as I got ready to speak, you know, and I'm going through it, the stage that I had was gone. Because they had put so many children in there. Literally, I had this like two foot strip of, of tile floor that I could kind of walk back and forth on. And then there was a, you know, there was a child like right there. I could like reach my leg out and, you know, nail one of them if if needs be. And so it was just like everything that you was supposed to be happening didn't happen. I get up there. My jokes had props. That's how bad they were. And I got up and I, I did one of my jokes and like crickets. And then I started kind of like speaking a little bit and kind of, you know, just going around and then just sort of talking about motivation and changing your life. And then I started getting heckled and I was called names that I cannot repeat. Even if this was an MTV show, like it was like, are you kidding me? These, how do these children, this young even know these names? And there were some that I'd never heard of in my life. And, And I'm, and I'm just like going through this process and I'm, I'm a God fearing man. And in that moment, I just literally was like, nothing is working. These kids are heckling me. This was the stupidest thing I could have ever done. Like, this isn't what I'm supposed to be doing. Like, this is horrible. And I just said a prayer. And in that moment, I just said, you know, look, we got two options here. Either one, cut the power, or two, send the angel Gabriel and help me out because this is not working. Like, this is not happening. And it was in that moment that I had an overwhelming internal feeling of it's not about you, it's about them, which translated to me in those split seconds, that it wasn't about my jokes and it wasn't about protecting myself. and It wasn't about being, you know, the most liked, uh, politically correct youth speaker. Like it wasn't about any of that. It was literally about those children in that audience that were in pain that were hurting and needed help and needed to be heard. And so in that split moment, I dropped every piece of like content that was in my head of how I was going to talk to these kids, and I just went raw and real with them. And in that raw and real moment, for the next 20 minutes, because I'd already wasted you know, 10, 15 minutes of my, my time with them, in the next 20 minutes, you could hear a pin drop in that auditorium. And it's never been replicated, even to this day, even after the thousands of, of keynotes I've given. There was an energy in that room that was unlike anything I've ever felt in my life. In fact, the organizers that brought me in, who had, I don't even know, they've been speaking in school since the 80s. So just, you know, they've been doing it for a very long time. They actually took four days off because they felt like they had an insane hangover after this event was all was all over. And we just went through this process of shared my story. I was raw. I was real. And at the end of it, I was exhausted. I was physically exhausted. And it was a really weird experience. And as I was getting ready to leave, the principal came to me and said, hey, would you stay for a little bit? In the back of my mind, I'm like, you know, it's getting close to like crazy Southern California rush hour. Like, I just want to get home. This is a really weird experience. I don't think I'll ever do this again. Like, I'm going to stick to speaking in prisons. It's a lot easier. I mean, it was just like, this is something I don't know if I'm going to do again. So, uh, and then of course I said yes. And he parted the curtain. We were backstage and he showed me this line of children that was wrapped around, you know, kind of wrapped around this area. And he said, These kids want to talk to you, Wes. And as I went out there to talk to these kids, um, I don't remember exactly what time it is. I've got it written down in one of my blogs, but um, I think it was around 11, maybe 1 o'clock in the afternoon, something like that. I didn't end up leaving the school for the next six hours, as I spent talking to kids knees to knees. And, and I could tell you six hours of the stories. I remember every story. I remember every situation. And as I went through this process, I started to hear the pain. 90% of these kids were still living in their moment. They were still living in their hell, And they were cutting and they were suicidal and they were going through things. And I remember just sharing my heart with them on a one-on-one basis and talking to them about their future and about their lives and what they could create. And they all came with this, you know, census of like, that's great, but nobody's going to help me do that. And really un- unprepared and un- <laughs> intelligently, I started telling them, well, if you do this, I will do this. Example for, for the audience is there was a girl who came to me. Her name is Ruby and she came and she was a cutter and she'd been cutting for years, but she had a dream and her dream was to sing. And her dream was to be a part of the Phantom of the Opera. She was, you know, her dream was to be on Broadway and to do all these different things. And, and I told her, if you stop cutting, I will help you with that dream. I will help you make that happen. Now I had no idea how that was going to happen on my side, but it was kind of like, you know, the, the old adage of an entrepreneur is you jump off the cliff and figure out how to make the parachute on the way down. That was the mindset. Like, I'm going to give these kids this moment and, and see what they can do with it. And I said, if you stop cutting for two weeks, I'll do this. And it was, you know, kid, child after child after child after child. I mean, all types of different examples. Some girls had learned to play the guitar and they would sing their pain you know, through their music and their music was really raw and like screamo. And it was just painful. And I challenged them, you know, Hey, why don't you make this a little bit more Taylor Swifty and like bring it down a notch. You can still have the same message, but make it a little bit more happy and a little bit more inviting. And if you do that, I'll get you into a recording studio and we can make an album and like all these different things were happening. And I was giving kids my email address and all this stuff was going on. And it was hours and hours and hours of doing this. And again, as I was getting ready to leave, one of the one of the uh organizers came to me and said, Wes, there's one more. There's one more child that wants to talk to you. And I'm exhausted at this point. And it's just like, okay, you know, let's do this. Like I'm exhausted, but I'm also energized. It was a really crazy feeling. And and as I sat down, this this one girl had a circle of of people around her. Uh, some of the event people, a couple of, I think a teacher, my wife, Like, there were people surrounding her. And as I got to the circle, they were all talking about how beautiful she was and that she was amazing and she could do whatever she wanted to do. And well, I appreciate that. And she is a very beautiful girl and that's amazing. That's not how I roll. And I knew that there was something that this little girl was was lying about and she wasn't being 100% honest about. And so I sat down in the circle and everybody kind of stopped talking, you know, for a minute and and um, I looked at her and I said, what's your name? And she said, my name's Alexander, but everybody calls me Alex. And I said, Alex- Alexandra, but everybody called me Alex. And I said, awesome, Alex. This was in April. It was in, again, Southern California. And she was wearing a sweater. Um, and she had the sleeves of the sweater all the way down gripped, the tips of the sleeves gripped in her palms so that, you know, she, if you, if I could show you, I'm doing it right now, but obviously we're on a podcast. Uh, it was holding her, her sweater sleeves down so that, you know, there was no chance of them kind of pulling up. And so literally she tells me her name and I took her hands in my hands and I kind of pried open her fingers and I pulled up her sleeves and she was just, she was just cut up. She was slaughtered. And I said, do you want to talk about why you do this? And for the next 30, 40 minutes, she just spilled out her life, talked about all the things that she, you know, was going through, all the hell that she had experienced, all the nightmares from her stepfather and her fa- biological father and all these things that were going on in her life. And I looked at her and I just said, what do you want? If I could wave a magic wand and give you anything in the world, what do you want? And I asked this to almost every child that I sit down with and do a one-on-one with. And and their responses nine times out of the 10 are the exact same that Alexandra gave to me. And as she looked at me, tears in her eyes, she popped up her head, looked me straight in the eyes and said, I just want to be happy. And I asked her, I said, what makes you happy? And, you know, we went through this process and She she labeled some things and talked about some things. And one of the things was the ocean. She lived two, an hour and a half away from one of the nicest beaches in Southern California. And she'd never been to the ocean. She had never had anyone take her to the ocean. Her plan for the next summer of her life was to get pregnant, have a baby and live in a a government housing and, and have that baby be her salvation. She didn't care who the dad was. She didn't care what the plan was. It was just get out of her situation. And that's what she was going to do. She was a cutter. She had tried to commit suicide 72 hours before this keynote presentation that I'd given. She she was going through her own personal hell. And I looked at her and I said, are you willing to do whatever it takes? Whatever it takes to get what you want, which is to be happy. And she looked at me and she said, yes. And I said, all right then I'm willing to go on that journey with you. And the first thing we need to do is you cannot cut anymore. You have to stop cutting. And if you stop cutting, I will take you to the beach. If you stop cutting for two weeks, I'll take you to the beach. Now, I'd been at the school for a while. We've been talking to children. Alexander was the only one I gave my phone number to. And I said, when you are ready, you, you contact us. And I gave her some other things that she needed to do. She needed to go on a walk. She needed to pay attention to the the, the beauty of her, her, her area. She needed to have a real conversation with her mother. She hadn't talked to her mom in four years. Like she needed to really talk to her mom about her feelings. She had to go through this whole process, do all these things. So as we're leaving the school, I open up my phone, and my email is like, <laughs> it is blown up with hundreds of emails from these kids Sharing with me their experience from that afternoon. And, and these weren't like, hey Wes, really cool. Nice to meet you. Have a good day. These were like five page iPhone emails. Like these were like, holy crap. Like I would thumb scroll, scroll, you know, and they would just keep going and they were thoughtful and they were deep and they were powerful. And, and I just remember reading them and just thinking like, this is incredible. And then, things that I had asked children to do, they were already doing it. They were already like, one girl showed me a video of her flushing her razors down the toilet. The girls that did the screamo music had already gone home and recorded the the, the first verse of their new song and sent me the audio. Like it was incredible. And, and then my phone started getting text messages from Alexandra and she started telling me, Hey, I just talked to my mom. We went on an hour long walk and you know, we did all these different things and all this stuff was going on. And it was just like, you gotta be kidding me. And so as we're driving home, I am looking at my wife. I'm just like, this is amazing. This is like what I want to do. This is, this is, this is what I want to do with my life. Like this resonates with me so much. And we're getting emails and Alexander's texting us the entire drive home, which was three hours. Thank you, Southern California. And we're going through this whole process. And as we get home, it's late and Jody's in the kitchen and she's trying to cook us up something to eat so we can, you know, kind of put a cap to the day. And it's nine o'clock at night and I get text messages from Alexandra and she says, can I tell you something? And, you know, I'm kind of like, well, we've been texting for a few hours, but yeah, sure. What do you got to tell me? And she sends me a ton of text messages and they came in, you know, one at a time. Cause she was on an older phone and she sends this huge long collage of text messages and they start to detail out how that day she was going to kill herself how that morning she planned on killing herself because her mom had the morning early morning shift and would be gone and she would pretend to go to school and then not go to school and by the time her mom got home it would be too late again she'd already attempted suicide so she knew what she did wrong the first time but her mom in the middle of the night got sick and had to change her shift. Then Alexandra was going to sneak out during the assembly because all of the good teachers and all the teachers that would actually care uh, if Alexandra wasn't in class would be in this assembly. And then at the last minute, the principal made it mandatory. And so she's detailing, she's like sh- sharing with me her detailed plans of how she was going to kill herself that day and how a couple of things had spoiled that plan. And then her very last text message said, You, you saved my life. Thank you. And I remember thinking, I didn't, I didn't save her life. I just listened to her. I didn't do anything that anybody else doesn't have the ability to do. I just made it a priority. And it was in that moment I hit the ground and I cried like a baby. I was in the fetal position for a good 20 minutes. And when I kind of got my senses together and kind of got everything, I looked at Jody and I just said, honey, if not now, then when, which internally to us meant, if I wasn't going to use my story to impact this world and make a difference on this planet, then when, when was I going to do it? If it wasn't going to happen at that moment, then when was it going to happen? And that night, I went into our home office, which was in one of, one of the sections of my garage. And I spent three days mapping out a 50-year business plan Of how we were going to stop suicide, and we were going to stop the need and the epidemic problem that we are seeing in our children of them not thinking they're enough, and them not having the ability to realize that they can become what they want to become, and all the different things. And and I put this plan together, and I came out from that, and got a nonprofit, called one of my good buddies who run, who founded Make a Wish Foundation. Um, Frank and said, this is my idea. This is my plan. What do you think? Will you, you know, will you come on board? Will you help? Well, you know, I had no idea how to run a nonprofit. I had no idea what I was doing. I just knew that I wanted to share this story. I wanted to figure it out and I wanted to make it a global conversation around hero, not around victim. And, and that's it. I mean, you know, Alexandra, she was, she was what started a human project. There were so many things that happened before meeting her. But it was her story. It was her text messages that empowered the decision to happen and and made it so that it was a now moment, not a, you know, maybe when moment. And, you know, Alexander now fast forwarding one of the commitments that I made to her. And it's one of the most powerful moments other than my children and, you know, my experiences with my family, hands down the most powerful moment I've ever had. Uh, was last year, I made Alexandra a promise, uh, while her and I were at the beach, uh, on on a private walk and we were talking. And I made her a promise that someday she would get on a stage and she would share her story with people and that she would have this ability to be a beacon of hope for so many others. And, you know, in her moment on the beach, she kind of looked at me like, you're an idiot. Like I, I'm never, (laughs) I'm never going to be anything. And I'm just having a hard time, you know, keeping myself together. And last year, in front of almost 200 of the most powerful entrepreneurs and, and business leaders, entrepreneurs is even the right word. No offense to those of us that call ourselves entrepreneurs, but these were legitimate business owners. You know, the chairman and found and, and founding family of the Mars company, and you know, people ex, top executives at Facebook, and you know, Capital Records, and like incredibly powerful people, Randy Jackson. You know, like iconic human being she was able to step on the stage and share her life and her story with them with me by her side and it's 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 out there on the internet it's uh wes chapman a promise kept is the video title so you can watch it um and it it was one of the most powerful moments not i mean yes because of the personal connection and the story i have with alexandra but it was also the the culmination of everything coming to that moment. Uh It was, you know, our event, our gala, all these powerful people are there. It's all of this stuff. We're talking about the thousands of lives that we've, we've been able to, to be a part of, you know, transforming all these things happening. And then the, the one little girl who is brave enough to share her story and, you know, to, to be honest with me and, and catapult us in this direction gets to stand on stage and, and have that moment. And I mean, I know that it was one of her, you know, most empowered moments in her life and she'll have many more to come, but it was just, it was beautiful. And now she's, you know, going to college and there's all these different things happening. And you, five years ago, she was, you know, she, if she was not going to be dead, she was going to be, you know, the, the fifth or sixth generation in her family line to, to uh, become a teenage mother. And she stopped that and, and now she is changing the trajectory of her entire family tree. So just so many different elements inside of the the story, but uh it, it was a remarkable day, a remarkable experience, and it started a a worldwide, you know, revolution in in getting these children to understand their inherent worth and who they are.
0: Absolutely. And the Human Project, you guys are doing fantastic things. Uh, Wes, where can, uh, my audience and, and listeners, uh, find the Human Project? Uh, can you share a little bit about, uh, the programs that are involved with it and, uh, your mission?
1: So, um, it's humanproject.com. So you can go and, and, you know, go through the, the normal process of going to the website and, you know, seeing all the, all the different ways that you can participate in there. Um, and, you know, I mean, it's a very we have we have created a very um, uh, robust system because this is not something that can just be taken care of by you know having a, a motivational speech or this or that. Like there, there's a lot to attacking this problem, and so we have different avenues. We we've put it down into um, something that we call E3, which is our program and our systems, and inside of each each of these quadrants is is a ton of other things that can happen. So E3, the first step is extraction. So if you are a community leader, if you're in a school, if you have clout in your community, if you own a business in your community and you just want to, you know, help get children to a position where they can be extracted, whether it's physical or emotional, we I mean, we've rescued children. Uh, we have a plethora of stories. We've worked with the FBI. We've worked with child protective service agencies. We've worked with, you know, sex slavery stuff. Like we've done all kinds of different things in our extraction module because again, if you can get in front of these children and they feel that there is a moment of hope where they can actually get their, their voices heard, that gives a lot of opportunity to get them help. And it may, it may be something as extreme as we had a girl come forward a year and a half, two years ago, and she opened up a, a situation where she was being molested by a man, but that man was molesting 21 other girls, the youngest being, I think, like an 11 month old child. Uh, so that one girl, her bravery opened up an entire situation, and now that man is spending, you know, some serious time in prison. Or it could be that they're just stuck in this concept of, I live in a small town or, I'm this, and I can never be anything else. And, you know, they're mentally stuck. So the extraction is all about boots on the ground, getting these children the help that they need. You're, like I said, you want to get involved in that? Let us know. We then, our second module is education, which is, you know, incredibly important. We extract these children, but then what? So we have education modules. We have things that they can participate in, online programs, things that they can get involved in. We have a camp that we run every summer. Uh, I mean, we have all kinds of things around educating these children to give them the skill sets they're going to need to succeed. And and we're not talking about just like, I mean, yes, the basics, but some of these skill sets are entrepreneurial skill sets. Some of them are how to apply for a student loan. I mean, there's so many things these children don't have the, you know, the, the basic resources to obtain some of the simplest things. How to change a tire, how to do things. I mean, it's just things that parents should be involved in. This is where the education model is helping. And then on top of that, even more. And then we have, which is the key, it's great. You extract these kids, you educate them. Now what? If if there's not a next level, we just created another foster care facility or another group home or you know another whatever, because a lot of these children will age out of systems. They'll age out of programs. They'll age out of help. And if they don't have this next thing, which we call evolution, which is the ability to take their extraction mindset, education they've received, and then put it into practical application. Many of them are never going to succeed. You look at the foster care; within six months, uh, the children that age out of foster care, females are pregnant. Within a year, the the men are homeless. You know, so if we don't have a, somewhere for these kids to go, a lot of our work will be in vain. And so our evolution project and our evolution area is all about creating opportunities, whether it's scholarships or internships. You know, we're working with some really great companies to give these children the ability to have internships where they leave their high school. Maybe they're not into going to college. They want to do something crazy and more, you know, a little bit more daring. And so they we're working on getting them internships and scholarships to different businesses that they can, you know, have room and board and and a little bit of spending money and and start to how you put their skill sets to use and do something really effective. So if you're a business that wants to open your doors to something like that, you know, I mean, there's just that, that's our system. It's all on our website. You can go and look at it, but it's not as simple. We don't just give motivational speeches and rah-rahs. Like it's a ton of work. It's a ton of boots on the ground. It's very expensive. Uh, This is not, you know, we're not feeding children for 30 days for $30. Like it doesn't work that way. Uh, you know, we're, we're here in the United States where a dollar isn't worth much. (laughs) You know, we've got a lot of things that we're, we're doing. These families don't have money. These kids don't have money. We're paying for everything. Camp is a thousand dollars. Um, you know, to bring a child on average, we pay for, you know, their food. We pay for their travel. A lot of the times we have to buy the kids clothes to even come to camp. They don't even own, you know, a proper pair of shoes or, you know, certain things that we need for activities. I mean, it's, it's it's really eye-opening when you understand that, yes, there's problems globally, and yes, there's problems in third-world countries, but there's a lot of problems in, in you know the greatest country in the world. One in five kids go hungry every night. Like There's a lot of situations happening in your neighborhood. I can guarantee I don't care if you live in the richest zip code or live in the poorest zip code or in the middle. There are things happening in your own neighborhood you don't know about. There are kids suffering in your own neighborhood, in your church, in your choir group, in your, I mean, I can, I can just tell you, I spoke at the UN and I did a survey of the audience and asked them how many of them had experienced something and, or, or are going through something. And it was 79.5% of the audience replied with a yes, that they had been abused. They are going through something. It just, it will blow your mind of the people that are going through stuff that you have no idea. And then they, you know, sometimes it hits the news and you're like, wow, I had no idea. I had wow. no idea. So you can get involved as simple as a hundred dollar a month pledge at a, you know, at a human project.com, you can volunteer, you can open up your community. You can, you know, there's a hundred different ways that you can play. And I would just implore you that if you've gone this far and listening to this podcast, do something. Do something and, and change the behavior of your brain of listening to something really motivational or really inspirational or touches you or whatever, and then just go about your day. That's our normal action. Change your action. Do something. Take an action. Make something happen. Follow through with it. Don't just say you're going to do something and then not make up 10 excuses as to why. Start rewriting your brain. If you're listening at this point in the podcast, it's because this resonates with you. So do something make something happen, sign up for an email list, go, you know, be, be a part of, of helping these kids do something to make, to, to change the whole concept of you just being motivated or inspired for a 20 minute period of time to actually allowing yourself the, the immense amount of joy of knowing that you're helping and moving somebody's life forward. And, and then if you need to start looking at your own life and, and that's what I'll leave everybody with is that if we've talked a lot about a human project and the story and, the, and how it came in my life and all of that, but my mission, yes, a human project and, and it's blowing up and it's, it's amazing and it's not amazing. Like my goal is to put myself out of business in the next 20 years, not to have a, a huge empire. Like I don't want child abuse and, and suicide to be prevalent in 20 years. If, if it is, I didn't do my job. So my goal is to put myself out of business. And that also has to do with the adults that are in pain. We don't, even some of the most horrific stories that we've gone through and, and rape and, and, you know, all the things that I've heard and sat in rooms and, and intervened with families. I don't look at the men and the women, the mothers and the fathers and look to condemn them. We look to heal them because they are, they're going to be their child's go-to forever. Bi- biology will always win. And a child is going to want to be connected to their parent. And if the parent isn't healthy, then the child will not be healthy. And we just start this process, you know, just continues over and over again. So if you're in a position where you're having a hard time, where you're feeling like you can't come forward, where you're feeling lost, where you feel like your childhood is still controlling your adulthood, where you're feeling things that have happened in your life are still changing or still directing the trajectory of your life, then I implore you, To go to our adult program, which is Wake the Hero, wakethehero.com. There's a free, a free community that you can get a part of. And there's a $30 a month community you can get a part of. There's a 12 week program that I have developed that is kick ass. Like it will rock your world if you take it seriously. And it is not so that I can become rich. It's not so I can make a crap ton of money. If you get it, you know, before February 1st, it's $30. It's $30. Um, in February we're gonna up the price to noon to, to 297 which still isn't anything incredible so there's just so many options for you to take control of your life you no longer have an excuse you no longer have an excuse and and it's it's your choice what are you going to do with it if your life is great and this has inspired you it's your choice if you're going to help another child if you're going to help a child in need If your life is is hurting and you're having a hard time and you're tired of living in this, you know, like zombieistic concept inside of your own mind, then I'm giving you the ability to completely break free from it. And not just like, oh, yeah, it kind of works like it's worked for tens of thousands of people and I wouldn't be talking about it if I knew it didn't work. And so it's it's your choice. It's as simple as that. So make a choice and then continue to make that choice every single day as it gets harder and harder and even with supporting the children, it's not going to be easy. Communities don't want to talk about this stuff. No principal on the earth wants to admit that their school has massive issues because that doesn't look good for the principal. People, churches don't want to admit that they have issues. Look at the Catholic Church. Nobody wants to admit that their, their hierarchy has been raping and pillaging their children. Like that doesn't right. want to happen. It's very difficult, but it doesn't mean it's not happening. So you're gonna to have to make a choice. I've had to make a thousand choices to keep doing this. The amount of hate, the amount of death threats, like my property is locked down with cameras and motion sensors and tripwires and all kinds of shit. Because when you put men in prison, when you when you open up, you know, people's lives who have been hiding, and some of them very powerful people, they're not very happy with you. And so you have to make choice. I have to make choices every single day. Do I keep doing this? Is this something that I want to do, and the answer is yes. So you're going to have to do the same thing, whether it's personally or whether it's trying to help those in need. But it starts with a choice, it ends with a choice, and there's a ton of action in between.
0: Absolutely. Very, very powerful ways. I'll put links to all of those resources that you mentioned below in the notes. Thank you so much for coming on the show and sharing your amazing journey and uh, just being an inspiration uh, for everyone and just uh, sharing your knowledge and providing so much value for my listeners.
1: Hey, man, I appreciate you having me on. and uh, I was in a little bit of a rant mood today, so hopefully it all comes out in the right way. (laughs)
0: Thank you for joining my guest, Wesley Chapman, and myself on the Cashflow Ninja today. If you like what you hear and appreciate what we're trying to build here at the Cashflow Ninja, please subscribe, rate, and review our show on iTunes and share our show with family, friends, and your network. I'm always trying to learn and improve in every area of my life. So if there's any way that I can provide more value for you and serve you better, please reach out to me at info at If you're not a subscriber to the Cashflow Ninja gosh good newsletter, you can sign up for our newsletter at cashflowninja.com or text cashflowninja to four four two Jimmy Freeland and Bob Scott have been in your shoes and have used real estate investing to create passive income and become financially free. In just over three years, they've created a lease option empire with over 170 properties. They can show you how to do the same. To get cash flow within 30 days, go to joinopsproperties.com. You can also check them out on YouTube. Just search Joinups Properties or call Jimmy and Bob at 314-799. 2247. The wealthiest investors on the planet know how to capture their wealth and leverage it to perpetually grow it. If you're interested in learning the premier strategies of the wealthiest individuals and families on the planet, you can access an educational webinar at cashflowninja.com forward slash be the bank. That's our show for today, everyone. Until next time, live a life of passion and purpose on your terms.